Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey, this is Pat Murray with CCA, and you're listening to Impact Outdoors Podcast. Think about the net bands. Think about the the science. Think about the reef restoration, the marsh restoration. Who's driving that? It's been recreational anglers every time. And it's folks that are willing to go in and work with great state departments, ones like Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, ones like Florida Fish and Wildlife, you know, those types of folks, and work with them. You know, you're not going to always agree on everything, but work within that system. And, and, and even banging your head against, you know, the federal wall. you got to do that. you got to go in and work on federal fisheries and make sure that the voice of recreational angling and, more importantly, the voice of sound conservation is being heard. It matters. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning back in to this week's episode of the Impact Outdoors podcast. And, man, we've got a great episode lined up for you today with my good friend, Mr. Pat Murray, president of Coastal Conservation Association. And we uh, got to record this over at one of my favorite events of the year, which is at the ICAST show held in Orlando, Florida every year, um, which is the biggest fishing trade show in the world. Um, So we attend that every summer and uh, we made time to sit down with Pat and record uh, a really fun episode, learn about CCA, his background and how he got involved um, growing up and and what CCA's meant to to so much for conservation in the recreational fishing community across the United States. So there's no bigger advocate for recreational anglers in in the country and uh, it was a pleasure to have Pat on the show. So let's jump right in to this week's episode with Pat Murray. So we are, uh, we're here live at uh, ICAST 2023 ICAST. and I've got my good friend, Mr. Pat Murray here with us from CCA and uh, it's good to see you, Pat. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's always great to be at ICAST. I mean, it's the largest tackle show in the U.S. Yeah. I and mean, it's got the, probably the biggest collection of conservationists and anglers and and uh, like-minded folks that you'll find in our space. Yeah, it's uh, a bit overwhelming the first time you come to this show. I think <laughs> I was here with my wife in 2015 when we were getting our Coastal Brigade program off the ground sure. and running. And and we walked in the doors and we're just like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, no. If you can't find your inner gear geek here, then you yeah. don't have one. Yeah, there's so much to look at in oh, every crazy. facet of the fishing world that you can imagine. And uh, every body you looked up to growing up watching on TV is just walking around. Oh, it's hysterical. Just walk right up and talk to them. It's, it's hysterical. It's, uh, it's pretty cool stuff. So um, I remember my, my favorite memory was like when we first came to ICAST, we walked in and uh, we were, I think, in the Quantum Zebco booth. And, and I was like, is that is that Bill Dance just standing over there? And we went over and said hi. And I'm sure I was nervous like a little kid, you know. And uh, – 
went over and ended up having like a 30 minute conversation with them and nobody was around. Yeah, I mean, like how cool awesome. is that? That's awesome. <laughs> well, and what's crazy about him, you see him every year is he doesn't age. No. I think that's no. the fishing. I think that's I think it's bass fishing makes you immortal cuz yep. he it's crazy. Yeah. And it's it's it is fun. It's fun to be here. Um because again, I think that a lot of things that there's a lot of reasons we all come here and but in the end the unifying aspect is fishing yep and and the fact that fishing brings people together like this maybe it's for commerce for a whole bunch of reasons but there's so many good outputs that come Mm -hmm. from it and i think that's to me what i always take away is it's you think about the economic outputs you think about the intellectual outputs of getting this many people together that are exchanging ideas and not just about fishing gear about all kinds of things and then of course the conservation yeah sort of baked into it yeah and that just exploded you know the the importance of fishing i think in the in the outreach part and, and people getting involved during covid and all and when we, we all seen yeah. what happened during that time and it's like did you not know this existed before you know what are we doing wrong as an industry and, yeah. and that kind of thing and and, yeah. and how do we keep you now yeah no, how that, do we keep you involved and that, that was the big gnash <clears throat> is how do we get more people fishing and um yeah. And then now they came, yeah. and um, and so now the question is, how do we make sure we, we really retain them? Mm-hmm. So that's you know I know that goes right into a lot of what you do with CCA, sure. um, and I you know I'd like for you to kind of explain um, what CCA is, what y'all yeah. do, and kind of how your journey you know growing up, your interest in fishing, where all that came from, and got you to the, to where you're at now. Sure, um, it's it, it's a fun story to at least for me to reflect on. So so just in the macro CCA. Uh, is Coastal Conservation Association. We're a marine resource conservation group um, founded in 1977 in Houston, Texas, and that was keenly focused on um, what had happened to particularly redfish populations, but also mm-hmm. speckled trout and other species that had been decimated by gill nets and purse seines. And there was a group of 14 anglers got together um, in a fabled day, actually technically in 1976, they said, we're going to make a difference, and we're going to get this under control, and we're going to make sure there's a future for our bays and for these species that we care so much about. And so jump forward now, you have CCA offices in 12 different states. Yeah. We have a presence throughout the U.S. along all coastal states in one way, shape, form, or another with members and supporters and volunteers. Um it's it's really a great story because it's all founded on grassroots and it's people who want to make a difference who are working to make sure resources are better tomorrow and so in the macro that was it and what attracted me so as a young texas angler i knew about what at the time was gulf coast conservation association Mm -hmm. so at that point cca texas had already um, gotten the ban on single strand monofilament gill nets in 1981 had gotten the ban on purse seining in 88 had done amazing things um, as i'm growing up i'm seeing these things happening and it's spreading to louisiana and alabama and florida and they're mm-hmm. getting net bans in florida and all these amazing things are happening and so i was really into fishing growing up and i was fortunate that my dad hired guides and guides were my heroes. It was not about the Houston Astros or the <laughs> Houston Rockets, although they were pretty cool. It was about these fishing guides. And I always said if they did trading cards for fishing guides, I would have collected them. 
and you know a rookie year of this guy and the and so anyway um the, i was all in and and then so when i was in college um in houston i started fish guiding some part-time um, i was fortunate had some some friends that were guides that gave me overflow trips and to me as a college student you know back then it was 350 dollars for a full day of fishing and 225 for a half which sounds like just like a joke now <laughs> but when you're a college student yeah that's like man i am set i got two 100 bills in my wallet it's like i can do this and so i started doing it and after i graduated i just went full time and was all in and again i was just super blessed to be around some amazing mentors and people that I looked up to and still look up to, uh, some deceased like the, the late David Wright, but some who are still very active, people like James Plogg and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and Daryl Skillern and Dana Bale, all these amazing people. And so I was fish guiding, and, but all along the way I knew what CCA was. And what always intrigued me was CCA, again, it was still GCCA at the time, these were the folks that in my eyes we're working for the best of the fish. And so I'm like, wait a minute, this is something that probably is even transcendent of how much I love fishing. Mm -hmm. And that these folks were working to affect policy. And that was very appealing to me because ultimately when you look at a fishery that you love and you think, I want to make sure this thing's managed right. And that's sort of the core of it. It wasn't just how many am I going to catch tomorrow. It was like, well, well, wait a minute. How is this being managed? And how are these resources being managed? And what's the science behind it? And so all of that co- sort of culminated. And, and fortunately, I was hired in, uh, in the late 90s and went to work for CCA. So it's been over 25 years ago. And, and I've enjoyed every moment of it. I yeah. mean, I've had seven different roles within CCA um, now uh, as national president. I get to see the sort of the broadest swath of all of the work that's done. And, and it's also been really, really interesting to watch CCA um, move from a big focus on advocacy and continues to have a big focus on advocacy, but now also including habitat restoration. And I think that's the natural evolution of it because mm-hmm. first you have to get the management. You know, management's never perfect, ever, in anything don't care what it is. Yeah. I don't care if it's road management. I don't care if it's whatever. But fisheries management is far from perfect. But you got to get it in a state where you feel comfortable now restoring the habitat and that you're not just serving as a feeder for whatever previous um, problem there was in, the, in a fishery or in a fish stock. And so that's sort of where we are now. Yeah. It's like a moving target. It is. It, there's so many changes, you know. I mean, just look at I mean, I'm always talking about Texas, but I mean, we go through so much. It's such a big state and big coast, um, but just all the weather changes we've had in the last Absolutely. 15, 20 years, and what that's done. I mean, just look at the freeze we had in, in 21, and 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 the changes that have had to go into place uh-huh. because of that. You know, no, you raise a great point. You know, we we put millions and millions of fish in Texas bays through our hatchery systems, and and that's incredible um, because those serve. During those periods, like let's say in 2021, where we have this really bad freeze. I say really bad. I mean, there's been previous ones that are probably worse. Yep. But in certain pockets, it was really, really bad mm-hmm. in particular. And, and, and no matter what, wasn't great, even for the forage. And But yet you're able to create these, so to speak, year classes um, through the UC's hatcheries. Well, even with all of that, and sort of to your point about, you know, we're tweaking inches here and bag limits there. And that's all important. But it's one 
environmental anomaly and all of that is off the table and yep. that's the piece we always have to remember i think as anglers and as conservationists as people who care about the resource is that you got to work within the idea that we don't have total control and so we have to always put conservation first we have to always make sure we're not just working on the fisheries themselves but also the the ecosystem that underpins it mm-hmm We've got to make sure there's a lot of science there. And so it's a pretty interesting recipe. You know, I mean, it's a pretty yep. delicate stew in a lot of ways. And then you got to know you can get your legs taken out from India at any time. And, and so if you have things, though, managed fairly right, then you can work your way out of it. And the 2021 freeze is an example. I mean, you know, now there's lots of hard scrutiny saying, okay, should it be three fish, five fish, what? In the end, you know, our founder, Walter Fondren, had a great line. He said, fisheries move to the small end of the funnel. And I've, I've said that line many, many times uh, I, I, because it's so captured fisheries to me. Because what Walter was saying was you go from these big macros of we got to get gill nets out. Okay, well, that's pretty obvious. And then you work your way down to where the small end of the funnel is how many days, how many, what, is there a season, how many inches, how many in a bag, how many, in, mm-hmm. all of these little tweaks. That's probably a good thing. Because that shows you're able to kind of get tighter and tighter and tighter. Yeah. And now you're working on the little stuff. And that's where it gets tricky. And so in a number of places, we see that. Now, we're fortunate, let's say, in the state of Texas. I'll just keep picking on Texas because that's our, our – but there's other <laughs> states that are, are just as fortunate. I mean, we're sitting in the state of, of Florida. They have, you know, really phenomenal management. Yeah. I mean – but when they get there, when management gets phenomenal, it becomes real tweaky. And and then again, with, even within that tweaky, you know, they've had freezes over here that knock their snook populations back dramatically. Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, we what do anglers do? What do conservationists do? We always roll up our sleeves and get to work. And we start doing more habitat work. We utilize hatcheries. We utilize science. That, to me, is the most compelling thing about all of this. That's what's exciting when you walk through these halls of ICAST. That's what's exciting when you get involved with a group like CCA or or the many, many other great groups that are out there. There's tons of great groups. And why I so encourage people to get involved. Yes. Because then you can be a part of that. You can be a part of the thing that's going to make our resources forever a part of the experience that's the key thing yeah and i think we talked about it you know um we do the the podcast summit um every year in texas and and one of the big things that's a recurring topic is mentorship Mm -hmm. and just how does some how do you get involved you know and and um i don't know if it's just because people just want somebody to ask them to get involved or if they just need to take the plunge on them you know themselves and yeah. stuff like, like i never thought i'd be doing a podcast you could ask me five years ago i'd be like i probably didn't even know what a podcast was yeah but you know i knew um my wife was like you know you should listen to these like you're on the road all the time it's yeah. like there's a lot of inf- good information out there and so i started listening i was like man I, I know a lot of people and i like talking to people and and like hearing their stories and, and how to make a difference and stuff and so it kind of happened you know um, but I wish more people would get involved. I'm always plugging that just like you, you know, like get involved with CCA or whoever it is in, in your local area and try to make a difference. Oh, there's something for everybody. And, and, you know, the challenge is, um, the motivational speaker, Jim Rohn used to say this of health and fitness and everything is that it's easy to do, but the problem is it's easier to not do. 
And that's the problem. And I get it. And people can say there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of this. Definitely. There always has been. Mm-hmm. People say, well, there's more than ever. I don't know. I'd argue that. I think there's always been plenty. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of things would be different if there hadn't always been plenty. There's lots of distractions. The question is, are you willing to take that step? Because generally what happens is the person who gets involved in any way, shape, or form, that now becomes their baseline. And so they said, well, I am going to start responding to these action alerts I get from, you know, XYZ Conservation Group. Mm-hmm. And, and again, hopefully it's CCA but because I have a little bias there, but whatever one you want to get involved with. So I got this action alert, and I'm going to take action, which could be I'm going to donate $5 to this oyster project, or I'm going to send a note to my legislator, or I'm going to write a letter about something. Fine do that hopefully now you set that as your baseline okay now i do no less than that i'm always going to respond to action alerts that are you know valuable to me and then you say okay where can i take this and i think the thing that's funny so most fishermen if you asked them what do you want most out of your fishing they want the experience they they love it and they want to get better at it and what i think sometimes gets lost is that the way to get better at fishing is to get more involved And that's Mm -hmm. conservation, too. And they say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I swear it works. Because the more you put yourself into something, the better you get at it. And I think where fishing has been dealt, I think, a bad card, and I've I've written about this many times because I think fishing is an art, is that it's not some, I don't even like calling it a sport or a pursuit. That's a blasphemy to call it a pursuit. It's an art. It's no different than culinary arts. Mm -hmm. It's no different than martial arts is that the more you put yourself into it, the better you get at it. And it doesn't mean just saying, okay, I'm going to go fishing, you know, 52 times this year. I'm going every single weekend. I'm going to go fishing 52 times. No, it's about saying I'm all in. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be part of this conservation group. And I'm going to go join a fishing club. And I'm going to join this, this, and this, and this. And it becomes immersive. And then all of a sudden you get better. So even on the most selfish of levels of saying, I want to get really good at my, my passion here, go all in. Yeah. Go all in. I mean, someone will have all the gear, all the apparel, and they're not all in. It's like, man, <laughs> if you take this one extra step, you're going to get a lot better. And yep. so I think that's sort of the hidden secret of it is by dedicating yourself, you find what you want. Yeah. I think a, a funny example is I do a lot of tuna trips on the party boats out of Galveston. Mm-hmm. And um, and one time I was on this boat, and these two guys were on there, and, and they literally probably had $15,000 worth of new gear. And they're on the boat on the way out and sitting there putting all this stuff, rod and reels, putting line on. And they got all the I'm, – I'm sitting there, like, talking to them about it. It's like, oh, yeah, you got the newest such and such from them. And, and uh, they're like – I was like, do you do this a lot? He's like, nope, this is our first trip. I was like, um, we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I was like, so you went out and spent all this money on all, all this topping gear? And they're like, well, what do you have? I was like, well, this is what I have. It's like, probably costs about a quarter of what you – now, I'm not knocking good gear because yeah. you know as well as I do, salt yeah. water, you, you got to yeah. pay to play and, and have quality components and stuff. But, sure. um, you know, it's like 
start out, you know, and, and, and work your way up to that. And, and the more you do it, the more you're going to find out exactly what you need and, and the right the right equipment and stuff like that. So Yeah. Um, no, and you don't want people – the intimidation factor really is the problem. And and probably one of the better examples of where you would find that is like a party boat because yeah. you, you know there's pros out there. You know there's people that have been doing this a lot. And But you touched on something that was interesting, which is is people being humble enough to say, I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, there's best-selling books written on vulnerability, and I hate that word in a weird way, although it's really a valuable word, is being willing to say, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm going to go I'm gonna go get this magazine. I'm going to go get a new copy of this magazine, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go buy this book, and I'm going to listen to this podcast, and I'm going to get better. And it was funny. I had this conversation with a guy, because I write a lot about go fish. Yeah. Go, go fish. You need to go fish. Number one thing you can do to get a better fisherman is go fish because most people don't fish enough. And so the guy was, it was kind of funny. I appreciated him. He said, uh, he goes, man, I go, I fish and I fish and I fish and I fish. He goes, and I never catch anything. And so I paused for a second. I said, do you do anything different every time you fish? <laughs> and he's like, well, no. And I was like, okay, that's the tip, first tip. Yeah. And, and, but also where it ended up sort of, morphing into was saying man open your mind up to other people's ideas i've often said like and if you walk these halls at icast so we're at a giant trade show there's a huge bass largemouth bass fishing component we have more to learn from the bass fishermen than anyone i mean let's be honest they've been the pioneers mm-hmm. they were using trolling motors before us jerkworms before us top waters before us crankbaits before us i mean i can go on and on and on and on and on but yet, as saltwater anglers, at least for me, I don't spend time looking at their gear. I'm nuts. Well, okay, there's probably a good little fishing lesson there, but maybe more so there's a lesson of saying never quit exploring. And and I admire those guys on that party boat for at least telling you they don't know yeah. what they're doing instead of spooling up and saying, hey, dude, get away from us. <laughs> you see how much this gear costs? <laughs> I am about to whack a tuna. And, and the best thing they can do is say, I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, do you think you can help us on the rail here yeah. and see that we don't make fools of ourselves? I think, um, I mean, I've been guiding for eight years now with my business and that's probably my favorite thing to do is to have a trip with somebody new. I always get people calling. It's like, Hey, it's like, it's like my first or second time fishing saltwater. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to go out and, and, um, learn, yeah. you know, what to do. Like, I don't, I don't have an idea what I should be doing or fishing for. And I think, um, there's so many guides down where I where I live, you know, in the Galveston area. I mean, I don't know, it was like 400 guides or something down there. It seems like every day running trips and stuff. And, and um, you know, I talked to a lot of these guys. And, you know, one of the first things I asked somebody is, like, what's your goal for the trip? Like, do you have a goal yeah, that you want question. to accomplish? Yeah, great question. Because a lot of people probably don't get asked that. Yeah, no, that's a great, great question and great point is that that – and I will say this, that's, that's the kind of thing I know – guided trips aren't cheap but people getting together you know three or four buddies getting together and and pooling that money when i was fish guiding i had any number of customers um, particularly you know at once i'd sort of built my business that um but there were ones that were very very adept fishermen and women and they but they would book three to four trips a year to keep fresh Mm -hmm. one a season basically and um that speaks to that spirit of people wanting to learn and hiring a fishing guide is a great way to do yeah. it because then 
you know, you go in confident and relaxed. You're not worrying about putting the boat in. You're not worrying about some of the, you know, not they're not ancillary things, but a little bit. And they can focus on improving their art. And But in that, it's them also being, it's, it's about being humble. There's a funny thing with fishing that everybody wants to start as an expert. And I know, at least for me, I consider myself far from an expert. I've been doing it for 4,000 years, and I've done it with some amazing people, and I've learned so much from them. But, I mean, you talk about never stopping learning. Fishing is a wonderful crucible to get that lesson taught to you. And, yeah. and that's part of what makes it great. Yeah. You know, it's that I never stop learning because you get humbled by, you know, some experience where you think, I just got my hat handed to me. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That's like every trip you pick something up, you know, whether it's on the uh-huh. fishing side or gear side or like, Hey, I need, need to do this on the boat a little bit better or, you know, how I position with fish. And, and I take a lot of bigger groups fishing. Like I don't do weight fishing. I know you big weight fishermen mm-hmm. and stuff, but, um, you know, I'll take a lot of times where I've got four or five, if it's family, sometimes six people on the boat and that's a challenge in itself. Oh yeah. But no doubt. It, you know, I, I, f- I want to do that for them because, um, you know, I've grew up in a fairly big family growing up. So, I mean, being able to keep the group together, you know, a lot yeah. of them, the guides will be like, well, I only take three people. So we'll have to do like two boats. And it's like, well, the whole point of them coming down and going fishing was to do it as a family, yeah, yeah. you know? So I try to offer that, you know, opportunity and really focus on the kids and, yeah. and, and stuff. And that's, that's like my favorite trips to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that's, and I, I bet you, if you dug down into what's so appealing about that is because probably all of the legitimate passion that's involved in it because they really seriously want to go. Yeah. And and it was funny. I remember I was actually just recounting this earlier. I learned so much from this guy, David Wright, who's he's deceased now, but was an amazing fishing guide and a huge mentor to me. And he was great about getting on me about certain things. And there's some some fishing and life, some fishing lessons that turned into life lessons I learned from guiding. And one of them, he reminded me, take every trip seriously. And he said, because remember, that person may be paying you in $1 bills. And his point being that they may have saved all year for that trip. Mm-hmm. And don't you go in there and do it halfway. And what's funny is the person who probably did a trip that way or is doing a trip that way is the one who's going to be most focused. They're going to be most concerned about the resource. They're mm-hmm. going to be most concerned about the learning. They're what you want. And I'm not saying the person that's just gushing in money isn't what you want too. I mean, as a, as a guide and in the resource, that's wonderful. But the family that wants to fish together, let's say, and let's say they go out and they have this great experience with you. And, you know, maybe they catch a bunch, maybe they don't. Maybe they catch one cool sheep's head, and they're like, this is the best thing that's ever happened, and we got to take this thing home, and it was awesome. Um, that is priceless. Yeah. And that is where the advocates for our resource really come, is people who have that fundamental experience, and it's now branded in them, and you can't take that away. And they become mm-hmm. literal warriors for the resource. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you know, you're talking about all the habitat work that CCA is doing now. And, and I just I want to applaud CCA for for supporting our group with the Coastal Brigade. I mean, that's just sure. been such a, a passion project for me and my wife. And and looking back, this is this will be our eighth year, our seventh camp due to COVID. But just all the kids we've been able to affect, yeah. you know, with the support support of cca and, and a lot of other groups and stuff but um you know we're really getting to see some 
amazing kids yeah, that really are showing cool. that passion that's for so wanting cool. to learn the outdoors and stuff because the kids that go to brigades camps and stuff they they have to have some initiative to yeah. want to do this yeah. at that age which a lot of kids don't have yeah. um so we're, you know we're getting you know i hate using the term like cream of the crop and stuff but i mean these these kids are definitely a lot of them are, are movers and shakers and are going into yeah you know the industry in some facet you know mm-hmm. uh, later in life but um it's really been a an honor getting to show them some of the things that we yeah. do on the coast as far as management conservation and stuff and I, see what they do with it i applaud you for it um even all the way down to the name you know because there's an empowerment in that and that's uh, i'm i'm proud that cca is able to help support that in some in some modest way um, I'm excited to speak this year. Yep, you're going to be there uh, this I'm, year. I'm going to be there. Weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be, even be a part of that because, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are a part of our future, and that's one of them. Yep. And it's it's getting kids with that holistic experience where they're kind of getting Coastal Fisheries 101, so mm-hmm. to speak. And that, that, that boy or girl are going to walk away from that, and they're not going to ever look at the resource the same again. And yep. that is what we need yeah more of that and and less of the bad stuff is a good thing mm-hmm. yeah so well you know talking about the kids and stuff like that i mean there's so much going on across the country with with fisheries and stuff mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the the big challenges we're going to be facing in the next 10 to 20 years Great i mean <laughs> the number one thing that comes to my topic i guess is population increase yep Yep. You know, but what what is kind of your thoughts on that? You know, it's a great question. It's a hard one, um, which I guess is what makes it a great question. Is there's two there's two folds because there's two sides of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of try to bifurcate it. One of them, to your point about population expansion, um, we need more habitat because there's going to be more of us. So, as the 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 funnel I referenced earlier that Walter Fondren captured so beautifully of fisheries getting more tweaky. I always like to say flip that funnel the other direction, and that's habitat. Habitat needs to be expansive. We need more diversity in that eco and more places to fish and more expansion of fish stocks. You know, the perfect example is Gulf of Mexico red snapper. There's more structure, so there's more snapper. Ta-da, that's not that hard. You know, I don't have to be a fisheries biologist to figure that out. So we need to do more work in oysters and in marsh restoration and in nearshore reefing and offshore reefing and all of that. So that's, if, if someone says, what's the future? Cause what's great about when someone asks me the future of conservation fisheries, it's great because I give them like 10 answers. Yeah. And which is, which is the yeah. future. There's, yeah. there's actually even something there, but okay. So the habitat's the future. Now here's the other side of that, which is another threat that is a little antithetical to you think, okay, there's more people, there's more people at the coast. This won't be a problem we might be surprised, is excluding people from the resource. Okay, so I'll go back to the late David Wright. This is kind of a theme that I'm honoring him with his many sage words to me, but I distinctly remember, I've told this story many times, where I was being a young um, fishing guide and probably whiny, definitely whiny, and definitely um, being a pain in his neck, and I'm complaining about, I can't get my customers on any fish because everything's covered up. There's people everywhere. I'm like, they're all over all the spots, um, just whining like a baby. And he shook his little gnarly finger at me and said, you better hope those people are out there. He said, because if they're not, then you and I aren't booked and there's nobody mm-hmm. fishing out here. And he was talking about my business, 
but there's a greater lesson there because he was talking about fishing. And if you want to ensure the resources are not properly stewarded and taken care of, you get the anglers out of the way or get the hunters out of the way or any of it. And so there's this odd dichotomy of there's going to be a lot of us, so we got to be real careful that we don't overfish things, so we got to have good management, and we got to have good habitat. But the other piece of the puzzle is there's a lot of people out there who think they need to exclude us, and they think, oh, well, if you just limit the anglers, if you control the anglers, everything's going to be okay. That is not correct. Yep. Now, there are times you need to have seasonal closures. You need to have spawning aggregation areas that are protected. There's lots of management needs to happen. But road exclusion of anglers is the greatest threat, not just to angling, but to the resource. And once you get that in your head, you think, okay, I got it. We need good management. We need healthy Bay Eco. And we've got to have anglers out there who are part of the process. And when they're part of the process, it's like all of a sudden that's where the magic is. And, yeah. and they're the ones that will fight to the end to make sure it's right. Yeah, and there's there are a lot of groups trying to squash a lot of this fishing and hunting stuff. I mean, I've got friends all over oh, both industries and stuff. Some of the stuff I hear from them, just like I'm glad I don't have to see that a lot on all the stuff that I'm working on. Uh-huh. But you know, you know, it's out there. And, oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's very. I mean, this sounds conspiracy oriented, and it's not. There's very well funded entities that very much want to get recreational anglers off the water. And there's people within government entities that want the same. And I mean, that literally sounds like X-Files, like I'm talking about yeah. some global conspiracy. I'm not. <laughs> I promise you, they really are. And and they're the other side of the coin to the people like us that want more people fishing, that want kids fishing. And that, so, I mean, I get it. If there's some logic in that you're going to have a certain polarity there. Yeah. We just got to make sure that we always have recreational anglers out there because they're the ultimate first and last stewards of the resource. I tell people all the time, mm-hmm. go through the conservation victories in the Gulf of Mexico. Think about the net bans. Think about the, the science. Think about the reef restoration, the marsh restoration. Who's driving that? It's been recreational anglers. Yep. every time and it's folks that are willing to go in and work with great state departments ones like texas parks and wildlife department ones like florida fish and wildlife you know those types of folks and work with them you know you're not going to always agree on everything but mm-hmm. work within that system and 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 even banging your head against you know the federal wall you got to do that you got to go in and work on federal fisheries and make sure that the voice of recreational angling and more importantly the voice of sound conservation is being heard it matters yeah yeah, yeah. and i spent you know i've seen kind of both sides out of the united states and then here you know i mean you know everything's just at our fingertips here and, and the opportunities oh, to go yeah. fishing and hunting and i spent a lot of time in germany growing up as exchange okay. student stuff and and um had the really cool opportunity the family i stayed with um the dad worked for the forestry department over there which was kind of in charge of hunting and fishing wow and so i got to go and and fish a bunch while i was over there and but everything's so restricted over there like i mean hunting's just totally totally different yeah (laughs) and and the fishing you know you have to belong to a club and you can only fish in certain places and it's just like i don't get that yeah you know it's like (laughs) we're so fortunate here and even some of the states we're talking about, we're so fortunate, you know, where where the anglers are the ones 
who kind of make up some of the management entities. I mean, the, the, the folks that are on various commissions, state commissions, they're anglers. That's not true in every state. Yeah. And there's ones in in some really important states that are very anti-recreational angling. And, um, and again, someone on the outside will can sometimes raise their eyebrow and think that's impossible. Now, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yep. And, and so back to your really good question is that I think the future is making sure that the resource is healthy. This is real. I mean, this is kind of the vision statement of, of CCA, which is ensuring um, the health of coastal marine resources and anglers access to them. And so that's kind of it. We got to make sure that the resource is healthy and then we got to make sure that anglers can fish it. And then you get that, and all of a sudden you have this this balance that tends to be where you find really healthy fish stocks and really healthy marine ecos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. Well, um, I know we've got a, we're right in the middle of summer right now. A lot of the the um, CCA Star tournaments are going mm-hmm. on across mm-hmm. the country you and bet. stuff, and I can't wait to get back home and get my kids out because Lord knows I want to help them get some scholarship money and There's stuff for college and uh, go catch some, some sheep's head hopefully this this awesome. summer before the tournament's over and awesome. uh, um, highly encourage people in their area to get involved with that it's a great great opportunity um, what are some of the things um, that you're working on I guess they're doing you know right now with CCA and and um, how can people get involved with CCA? How, like, how do they join? Where do they go for that? Yeah, there's 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 so many ways to get involved with CCA because there's so many different levels. In the sense that you know the basic step of they can join. Uh, you know they go to joincca.org and they can sign up as a member. They'll start getting Tide Magazine, which is an incredible magazine, award winning. Um, they'll start getting stuff from their local chapter. That depending on how active their local chapter is. It might be that they get invited to a seminar night where a fishing guide comes and speaks, or they'll get invited to a fundraising banquet that are loads of fun to yep. go and hang out with a bunch of like-minded anglers and and enjoy an evening. Um, and then if their if their chapter isn't real involved, they can get involved with it, and they can be the ones that start to be the driver for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I always tell people though, but that you don't have to do that to be a part of it. Just join. And I actually, again, I'm, I'm pretty quick to take a step back and say, again, join something. Yeah. There's tons of good groups that, I mean, again, I would strongly suggest joining CCA, but maybe you don't limit it to just that. Maybe you go ahead and say, well, I'm going to, and I'll just, I'll keep in the, in the Texas framework. I'll go and look at Coastal Bend Bays and Estuaries Program. I'll go look at Galveston Bay Foundation. I'll go look at, you know, there's just tons of good groups. Mm-hmm. I can go on and on with acronyms. And even nationally, we have a bunch of partners through um, the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. Um, is you look at the, if they go check out that website, the matrix of people that are involved, these are tons of good groups. And so it's really just inserting yourself in the process where stuff starts getting mailed or emailed to you and then you can find your comfort zone yeah because that's the thing not everyone's going to be comfortable doing all of it and some people are going to want to do more than all of it and that's great and but we are so blessed and fortunate in this country to have the access to the resources we do per your reference to europe and um and so if folks want to take advantage of that, they should on the angling side, and then they should take that next step. 
mm-hmm. because again, it won't, it will not only be good for the resource, it will be good for them. Yep. Well, um, you know, that's, we were talking about something yesterday while we were out fishing or something. And somebody was talking about, uh, their kids little league or something. And they were like, you know, there was a sign on the fence and it said, if you if you're going to complain, volunteer or something to that yeah, fact, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so <laughs> true. And and what people don't understand, too, is that it'll liberate them from a bunch of their angst. If they go be part of something, they don't feel helpless. Yep. And it's like all of a sudden they understand. Well, you'll start learning, first of all. Because, you know, I kind of thought I understood the politics of fish when I was first getting involved with CCA. I was like, ah, I've been a fishing guide. I know this. Yeah. I've been fishing for 4,000 years. Let me tell you. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then I kind of got into it, and I was like, oh, okay, this is a little different than I thought. Mm. The, the, the system works differently than I thought. And what I mean by that is, you know, the state management system or the federal management system or, um, you know, what this statute or that statute require of the agency and you know, I won't get into a bunch of sort of the nuance of it, but there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Yep. And and for some, if you're that type of person, it's pretty intoxicating in a good way. It's like, wow, this is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, But even if you just want to be in the periphery and you want to just help, just get involved. And, yeah. and people would be surprised that that matters. It matters. Just the fact... and within let's say the cca framework that you start getting tide magazine you take a few minutes to read it and you go read about your state chapter and be no matter what state you're in um, along the west coast the gulf and the south atlantic you get an update that hey this is going on well first of all you know about that now so now all of a sudden you're like oh wow they do these reef ball projects in chesapeake bay because there's a significant level of oyster depletion huh didn't know that and then all of a sudden you say, well, that's pretty cool. They go and build these reef balls at various schools. They go get students involved with it, and they go put them in the bay. They all of a sudden get oyster growth on them, and they start restoring the resource. Well, that's kind of compelling. And then maybe all of a sudden you start volunteering for that. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe your striper fishing starts to mean a little more than what it did the month before yeah. or the year before, and now you're all in. And so that, to me, is sort of the evolution of becoming – because to me, the ultimate anglers are the ones that also do the conservation. You know, and think about through history, the great leaders of conservation, you know, in, again, in hunting and in fishing are the ones that were all in on it. And so the two go together. Prowess in, in, in that pursuit, excuse me, art, or prowess in conservation walk hand in hand. Because, again, that's where pursuit becomes passion and passion becomes art. Yeah. And that's where... Just like you're, you, you're all in. I mean, it's it's pervasive in every part of your life, and those are the people that are most powerful in the conservation space because they're aware of the issues, they understand the systems to mm-hmm. some degree. You know, I mean, some are going to be more in than others. That's okay, and then so they now are part of the process and not just a subject of the process. Yeah, yeah, and I've, man, I've been so blessed to be able to. I mean, just what I do, you know. I mean, I get to see everything from all different sides. Mm-hmm. And so my yeah, you viewpoint is just, it's kind of unique, at least to me, you know, because a lot of people don't get to see from the management side and then from a guide side sure. and, and just a recreational anger growing up my whole life and stuff. And so it's always been good. I'm, I'm always thinking about different avenues and and trying to 
like when we talk to people, you know, in the public when we're back home working at surveys or something like that, you know, it's like I kind of understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. when they're asking questions and stuff. And, and so I think that's always helped me in my role. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, yeah, so. and that's the thing. It's sort of that open mind. It's funny. When, when I talk about joining CCA too, or any group, I always tell people, say, don't join thinking you're going to agree with everything. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and to your point about different perspectives is that, it's a, it's a great misnomer that people think they're going to join, let's say, CCA, and that they're going to agree with every position. It's like, that's nuts. I mean, that'd be, if, if you have that as your threshold for getting involved in something, you'll never get involved in anything. Yeah, I mean, true. you're sure not going to get involved <laughs> with a political party. I can tell you that right now. There's no way you're going to ever cast a vote in your life in the United States because there's no politician you're going to agree with everything they do. Yeah. It's impossible. So why would you put that threshold of perfection on an entity to get involved? You yeah. say, well, I don't agree with them on, you know, on, on speckle trout limits. It's like, well, okay, but do you agree with them on habitat and on this and this and this? Okay. Well then that's probably worth your time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that sometimes people maybe don't even it's maybe an excuse. I it's, believe that. Yeah, it's an excuse because sure. it, it's like, well, maybe they just didn't want to put in the time, and that's okay. I mean, I get that. I totally get yeah. that. But it's like, if you really do care, you're gonna know that. Because I can tell you this: there's been positions through time, going back to when I was fish guiding, that I'm not sure I necessarily 100% agreed with, and sometimes, you know what? I was wrong. It turns out they were right. Or things that I was I was so adamant about that these people are knuckleheads that they they don't get my position and then it turns out maybe I was right you know yeah and that's just the way it is yeah. you know I mean you just got to be able to let yourself get involved to be a part of the process yeah well um, I know you've got your book out won't you talk about that sure and, um, sure and yeah right writing such a, a fun passion. Um, probably first and foremost because I get to interact so much with people. I talked about a, you know, a reader who had, had called me on something earlier, which I love, um, and then through Tide Magazine, um, getting to interact with people. But I, I, I did a book um, not too terribly long ago with, um, with Texas A&M Press, and it's called It's More Than Fishing. And it's sort of thematic with what we've been talking about, where fishing's more, it's an art. Yeah. Um, and this mm-hmm. digs, it's, it's largely framed within the trout and redfish fisheries of texas and how to become a better angler um i had written a book previously with fish and game press uh, or excuse me fish and game publishing uh called no no nonsense guide to coastal fishing um and this one took some of those same concepts maybe went a little deeper but more so i looked more outward and it has things like a chapter on the scientific angler which what i did was go to some of the best scientists in the marine biology space that I know who are also anglers mm-hmm. and said, okay, you're a marine scientist, which makes you a little cooler than me, and you fish, um, what would you suggest people do to get better at angling? What would make them better understand fish? That's kind of like opening a secret door to me. Yeah. Because those folks yeah. know fish on almost kind of a creepy level compared to what we do. Um, I also went to people and said, give me your top five baits. I mean, we're all anglers. We're all like, give me your top five baits. What baits would you use if you had to live on this island where you could trout and redfish fish? And so I did a lot of it as trying to not only share experiences I have, for better or worse, 
um, but glean insight from some of the amazing experts and guides and scientists and management professionals I've been able to be around. Yeah. And so it was a fun book to write. Um, you can get it on Amazon. It's a real easy read. Um, that was totally my concept was let's make this thing mm -hmm. fun. And, um, and the, there's some photography in it that sort of animates some of those same images. And, um, you know, it is what it is. There's, it, it gets back to when we were talking about people, you know, wanting to get better at fishing and conservation. And I'm not saying my book is, is all that, but it's getting involved. Part of it is also immersing yourself in the learning process. Yeah. And that's sort of my theme in that book is never stop learning. Never stop breaking patterns. Never stop any of that because that's what makes you better. Yep. And, and fishing on the coast, you know, there's probably not too many days that are alike. So, I mean, you're always oh, learning. I mean, every, it's incredible. every day is different and um, it keeps you humble. Um, but having does. a good foundation to, to, to know and learn and grow off of is, is so key. So It does. It, it, I like keeps you humble. That, yeah. I can't tell you how many times through the years, like back in, back when I was fish guiding, I'd have customers who just needed to go that day. It's like northeast at 30. I'm like, guys, <laughs> we can't go. They're like, no, we, we, this is our day. It's like if we don't go today, we don't go again until next year. Like, okay, well, we're going to go find, you know, we're going to go run over to this little pocket and we're going to go do this and that. And you absolutely crush them. You yep. know, it was an unbelievable day. And it's like, well, I learned something today. Yeah. It's, I love it. That's yeah. what's so magical about fishing. And I've had a couple of trips like that, like where we just were going to go do something. And like, like I had a dad and his son that came down and they had one day basically to fish and it was just going to be, it was going to be trashed. Like there was no way we were going out. And I was like, sitting there thinking to myself, like, how can I make this work for them? And I'm like, okay, I, I can get off at work at like three o'clock, probably tomorrow. It's like, I can take you out and we can fish till dark the night yep. before yep. will that happen and they were like we can make that happen and we did and it was literally from first cast to last cast yeah we caught fish and they so weren't awesome. even keeping anything they yeah. just wanted to go and and that was one of my favorite trips i've probably ever done That's and awesome. um and was so glad i was able you know to do yeah. that yeah um and have that experience with them so that's but, so uh, awesome that's a perfect example yeah, of it. yeah. it's just and but also that's the that's the lure of fishing is it's the occasion for hope i mean yeah. it's all of a sudden it's like you know, you took something and said, I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm just going to go, just go fish, and you get this incredible memory. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. So, well, I know we've got a busy day, and it's just getting started here. Yep. So I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and, and uh, do this at the show. And uh, um, I know we're going to be seeing you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, at I'm excited Coastal about Brigade. that. So we'll be down at Sea Center, Texas. Yep. Um, make sure if you're ever in the Houston area to go check that out. Yep. Um, but um, like I said, appreciate you coming on, and um, hopefully one day we can get out and do some fishing together. I love it. So I love we'll it. chase something fun. Go maybe yep. try to find some triple tail or something later this summer. So love it. Like I say, it's it's uh, I'm honored that you'd asked me to be on it, and um, and excited that you're doing this too because this is at the root of what we've been talking about is getting people information yep. and hopefully getting them excited and. Passionate about the next fishing trip and then hopefully they go yeah absolutely well pat always a pleasure talking with you yep and we'll see you soon enjoyed it thanks right, thank you
to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.